Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Kudzu Radio Hour. This podcast was recorded on Saturday, December 12th, 2020. It's episode number 132. We're going to be talking about great rock and roll books today, among other things. The Kudzu Radio Hour is brought to you, as always, by the fine folks at Springer Mountain Farms. Springer Mountain Farms has fresh chicken, responsibly raised on family farms with no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids, no animal byproducts, ever. Healthy, 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 good for you. Get more information or order online at springermountain.com. That's springermtn.com. Not only is Springer Mountain Chicken healthy for you, but it also tastes very, very good. As a matter of fact, I'm very uh, anxious to try the new pre-cooked, smoked, full chicken that uh, they sent me for Christmas, (laughs) which was very kind, very sweet. It's in my freezer awaiting uh, the holidays. And... um, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be good. I just love, I just love their chicken. The program's also brought to you by one of my favorite bands, the Boxmasters. Wonderful band, the Boxmasters out of Los Angeles. Been going at it for, I don't know, 10, 12, 13 years at least. Uh, they have recorded some great albums and um, great, great, great albums. But their latest one, Light Rays, is their best yet. Take my word for it. I'm a fan. I love their music. Um, You know, I'm, of course, I'm really nuts over both uh, the two main guys, uh, Billy Bob Thornton and J.D. Andrew. They write all the songs and they play all the, on this album, they played all the instruments. They did everything. I mean, wow. And it is great. So check out, uh, check out libraries and whatever you do, uh, be sure to visit the Boxmasters website at theboxmasters.com. Order your album on CD or vinyl or download and order you some swag for Christmas. They've got all kinds of, I call it swag. You know, some folks call it a sling blade. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that means. They've got all kinds of stuff from shot glasses to ashtrays. And isn't that all you really need is a shot glass and an ashtray with the Boxmasters logo on it. Be sure to follow them on uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram. The Instagram account is uh, the Boxmasters official. And JD uh, Andrew does a great job every day of posting stuff on there. So you're going you're gonna to get pictures from the past, all kinds of past, present, and future. Well, not from the future, maybe. Great stuff. Our other sponsor we want to thank is the our dear friends, Roger and Linda Earl of the band Fog Hat. And you know Fog Hat, Slow Ride, Fool for the City, etc. But did you know that they also have some fine wine? They have Fog Hat Cellars, and I'm going to tell you, the wine that they produce is top of the line i love the pinot the pinot is my favorite but i also like the chardonnay there's just a lot of choices and the great thing about this wine is you can have it delivered to your doorstep 
in this day and age, that's what we want. We want everything delivered to our doorstep in a no contact kind of a way. And uh, you can do that. All you got to do is to, to order or to find out more is to go over to fogatsellers.com or go to the website, the band website at fogat.com and there's a link there too. Thank you so much to all of our sponsors. We so appreciate you. It's just like we appreciate our listeners because we know that there are a billion podcasts out there. So if you're taking time to listen to this, we greatly appreciate it. And I hope you'll, uh, I hope you've seen the current issue of our kudzu magazine issue number 40. It's free. It's always been free and it always will be free. Just go to kudzumag.com. That's K U D Z O O M A G kudzumag.com. It's got a picture of young uh, Dwayne Betts, son of Dickie on the, uh, on the cover. What a great guy he is. Uh, just like his dad. And, um, he, the band, the band, the almond Betts band that he has with Devin and Barry Oakley jr. And all those guys. Oh my goodness. They are carrying on the tradition, aren't they? So we've got an interview in there with Dwayne. That's really cool. Also another interview with a great guitar player and friend, Billy Crane. You know him from his years with the Henry Paul band and with the outlaws. But did you know he's recorded five or six really amazing solo albums? You need to dig deep into some Billy Crane, baby. That's all I got to say. There's also an interview. <laughs> we give you all kinds of information, and baby, it's free. Can you dig it? I knew that you could. We've got an interview with Bud and JD that has Billy Bob and JD from the Bossmasters. And we dug into the archives of the classic kudzu interviews uh, and brought out one that I did years ago with Maria McKee, you know, from Lone Justice and all of her, her solo work. One of my favorite, favorite singers. So we got an interview with her. Uh, there's a great article on the unreleased, an unreleased album from Doc Holliday. Loads of CD reviews and a couple of recipes for you to whip up. We've got our couch potato column, as always, for those of us who like to watch the uh, idiot box, as we used to call it. I've uh, got a new Southern Accents column and a new uh, Unexplainable Billy Eli column. Also in this issue, uh, well, we had asked for votes for the 2020 class of the Southern Rock Hall of Fame. Well, that... Uh, that deadline is passed and we've got, we've taken your votes and chosen them and you can go over to Southern rock hall of fame.org and see who got put in, in this third year of induction into the Southern rock hall of fame. Please check out my YouTube channel ambassador of Southern rock. Um, lots of great interviews. Sean Murphy from little feet, Roger Earl from fog hat, Freddie Salem of the Outlaws, and much more, and more coming all the time. And please, 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 on the Ambassador of Southern Rock channel, hit that subscribe button. That will help me help us to bring you much better programming in the long run. It really will. If you've got comments on the radio broad, uh, podcast or the magazine or anything, write us at kudzumag. Uh, whoa, whoa, let me start that up. 
us at kudzumag at yahoo.com. That's right. All right. That's pretty cool. Uh, well, we're going to kick it off with a song, and then we'll be back to talk about stuff with the guys. I'm going to dig back into a little bit of Southern rock. Um, our hometown boys, you know, I'm from Spartanburg, South Carolina, as is the Marshall Tucker band. And we're going to go back to an album called Together Forever. This is a really balls-to-the-wall uh, rocking tune, singing rhymes that features the I think it's the only time that they ever split the vocal lead vocals uh, in verses between Toy Caldwell and Doug Gray. Pretty cool song. I like it. Singing rhymes on the Kudzu Radio Hour. And we'll be right back right after this song. Lord, it seems my whole life ain't been nothing but trouble. And when I try to straighten things out, Hell things double But ever since I met you Doing what a man is supposed to do for love Now a lot of folks think that love is wrong They don't know what's going on Cause ever since the day you told me your name So hard of mine's been under a locking chain of love
All right, that's a pretty good way to kick off the program. That goes back a bunch of years. The original Marshall Tucker band from the album Together Forever. It's a song called Singing Rhymes, and it's the only song ever that they recorded that had a shared lead vocal between Toy Caldwell doing a verse and then Doug Gray doing a verse. But it's a, kind of a, uh, I always describe it as a balls to the wall kind of song because when Doug comes in with that high pitched, uh, part on his man it just man it just blows me away uh, i like the lesser known tracks from that band a lot i mean a, a whole lot but anyway that's one good way to kick it off i want to welcome uh my uh, uh forever co-host here uh billy eli patrick beach and jim hemphill you know him you love what's going him. on what's up buff i gotta get a beer hey you know, imagine that imagine that can you imagine that um well, uh, anyway, well, it's good to be back uh, here among the land of the podcast. And uh, I was doing a little research yesterday on podcasts, and I don't even want to think about the sheer number of podcasts that there are for people to listen to now. So anybody that's listening to this, you have our, our gratitude for actually uh, taking time, giving it, a, giving it a chance. We appreciate it quite quite a lot. Uh, we're going to do a uh, game here. I'm scrolling down my screen. I'm scrolling down my. Oh, there he goes. He's talking in the background again. <laughs> the uh, high fidelity game in which we pose a question. Um, now I've got. I'm going to do one, and I think Billy's got one. I think Patrick may even have one, but I'm doing mine different because I want everybody to answer this question. Um, and, and some of you heard it on the uh, happy hour last night, but it, I, I preface it with the uh, statement that thinking about 1973, when I went and saw three bands for $5 and 50 cents, uh, talk about the good old days, uh, Edgar Winter Group, Fog Hat and Brownsville Station, that was $5 and 50 cents. So the question is this, if you could see three bands from any era, living or dead, any time, and from any of the band, that particular band's era, or whatever, you know, any genre of music, who would it be? And that will go with Patrick first. Yeah, when you brought this up yesterday, I thought, okay, the way they put these bills together has to make sort of stylistic sense you know maybe maybe you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna pair uh elvis presley with the sex pistols or anything well like you would that. if so, you're bill, you would if you're bill graham or billy eli for that matter i would um, do that i would absolutely <laughs> do that yeah i would too so i'm gonna go with uh three that i never saw and never will otis redding james brown and ray charles Oh, my oh God. dude, that's like a dream ticket. But I mean, yeah. you know, you're putting together like you know stuff that's based on great music and great performance. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do mine based on just spectacle. Okay, it's, Billy, Billy, go ahead, Billy. Okay, well, I, one would be Elvis, one would be the Plasmatics. <laughs> uh, Elvis, the Plasmatics, and uh. I don't know, man. I'm trying to think of some good national band that's like the Flame Trick subs in Austin, man. But, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, so it's got to be somebody that's kind of nationally known. Uh, 
I could I could always do Dino Lee and his white trash review. Remember they had the uh, rock and roll jelly girls at the microphones where they put the microphones down in dildos. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, because I because if I were gonna see three bands, uh, yeah, for five bucks, yeah, I wouldn't care about the music. I would want spectacle. Oh, yeah. My cho- yeah, uh-huh. my third one's Dino Lee. I mean, you got to say he's, I mean, you know, he's deep underground, but, you know, he's a real guy. Yeah. All right, Jim. Wow. Okay. So I wasn't on the happy hour last night because I'm all goofed up on hop, all goofed, all hopped, hopped up, up on goofballs. Goof See, I can't even say that. <laughs> goofed up on I, hot balls. I had oral surgery yesterday and I'm still on the painkillers. So here's what, what I think. I, uh, he said oral. <laughs> Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so we're really cool. Still twelve. <laughs> yeah. So this is so this is a this is a bill that I think could actually have happened sometime in the early seventies. Uh, Led Zeppelin, and there are also okay. bands I never saw. Led Zeppelin, The Who with Keith Moon, and Sly and the Family Stone. Hey, yeah, that's an interesting. Uh, uh, Thrysing or whatever that would be. Well, I, would be. I still say Bill Graham would have put that together. Yeah, oh, no would. question. Yeah. No question. That's the great thing about him. And, and, and going into this, I was trying to say that, you know, there's certainly no rules at all. No rules at all. Mine, and I really didn't think that long and hard about it. I didn't have to. Uh, two out of the three I never got to see and never will. Uh but one of them I did get to see, but we'd like to see it again. So the first one I never got to see, Almond Brothers with Dwayne and Barry, um, because I saw them so many times, but I never saw them with the original. Dwayne you Almond. imagine seeing, seeing that first original band in a club? No, Good. I can't. God. Oh God, that must that would have been smoking hot. Yeah, even yeah. At, even at the Fillmore, even at the Fillmore East would have been. My second one, right, right. My, my second one is a little band called the Beatles from the Let It Be era. I would like to see that era. Um, and they were, that, I thought, I thought that they like were very six, cool. That like '68, '69 Beatles. Yeah, yeah. Another one I did see back in '73, but. I would like to see it now without the aid of hallucinogens. And that was uh, David Bowie's Diamond Dogs tour. Oh, good choice, Buff. It was just the greatest, one of the greatest shows I ever saw. Yeah. Also, it was one of the greatest shows that Sherry Curie of the Runaways, she modeled her entire life after that one concert she saw of uh, Diamond Dogs. You know, just wanted to be him so badly. But anyway... That's that part, and then uh, there. I think Billy, you had some sort of a high fidelity, didn't you? Yeah, I, d- I did. I actually had two, and I'll start with this one. And I I gave y'all a heads up on this because uh, yesterday, and I sent Jim a text this morning because these weren't just easy ones of you know uh, best three concerts or best three live live shows to see outside. These these are kind of these are kind of uh, tricky, and so the first one was uh, a hit. A hit song that a band had that was completely out of character from all their other from all their other material, uh, and you know, uh, I'll kind of start here and uh, this is a, a an Austin band, uh, 
Oh, which Miles did we use? Was the name of their band? It was Big Card. Fastball. Fastball. And their hit, uh, The Way, is not like any – that was their biggest hit. Right. And it's not like anything else that they ever pl- that they ever did, man. I mean, it was – you know, it, it, it was – it just stylistically, it was different. Tones were different. Everything about it was different. So, uh, that's that would be my pick. And you can pick it, too, because I'm actually supposed to go last. But I was doing that so y'all had an example. Yeah, their first – first fastball's first record, Make Your Mama Proud, was just loud, fast, power pop. Power punky. pop. Yeah, yeah. Power it was, it was garage pop power pop. pop. And, yeah, and th- yeah. They were the same with – when they were big car, we did a ticket with them at the steamboat once. Steamboat once when I was in Lost in America's. Uh, yeah, and it was, you know, I mean, yeah, it was fast and furious, and you jumped around, drink a lot of beer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, Jim, you go first. Okay, uh, I don't know if the, you know. I've I haven't had a whole lot of time to think about this, and I don't have. Right. And these aren't exact examples, but I've got two that came came up. Uh, one of them is is uh, rem's losing my religion because it was so different than the stuff that came before it was it was not uh different than what they were doing at the time but it, you know it kind of came out and was like wow where you know peter buck picks a, up a mandolin you make a really good point there I, and i'll also say this man uh I, I didn't even think about rem's too much but uh Rockville was kind of different at the time than the other sort yeah. of jangle pop they were doing, man. Yeah, they, yeah, <laughs> and and so that was one. And the other one is is a, a band that had that it's arguably its most popular song. It almost never plays live, and that's "Creep" by Radiohead, uh, because they <laughs> don't because they don't think it's representative of of their work as a whole. Uh, I probably would like Radiohead more if it were, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> Right, but but anyway, that's that's one I thought of too because they, they they think it's so unrepresentative that they almost never actually even play it live, and it's you know to the to the masses like me who aren't huge Radiohead fans, uh, that's the song they're best known for. So, yeah, it's a good list. Okay, uh, tell you what, let's yeah. let Pat go last, man, because uh, you go you go next, Buff. Uh, I need. Sort of a trend I, there. With it. I need to, I need to remind Jim of that time that uh, you lost a bet to me relating to uh, whether they would play creep at ACL. That was fun. I had it. See, see uh, Radiohead <laughs> did Austin City Limits Fest two weekends in a row, and I bet Patrick a, a six pack that they would play creep. I just had a feeling they were going to play creep. They did not play it at either show in <laughs> right, Austin. Right. But you know what they did in between the shows in Austin? They had a show in Mexico City in the middle of the week in between. And they played creep. They there. played it there, right? So they so they were doing it every third show. No, they no, they were doing about every fiftieth show. Oh, okay. All right, go ahead, Pat. I you oh, gotta oh, go, oh, Buff. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> all right, Michael. Sorry, go you, on. You, Come on. You can skip me. It's fine. I don't care. You don't get out of it that easy. Man. No, I, I, my my original <laughs> answer would have been the same thing you said on Happy Hour, which is Beth. But yes, but you know, at this right. thing. That's the first one that pops to mind. It's way too easy. So I thought about it a little bit, and I went back to an album called um, End of the Century by the Ramones when they covered the Ronettes, uh, uh, Baby, Baby, I Love You, the Phil Spector. And that that was the oddest thing I've ever heard in my life. Well, and kind of an anomaly to the rest of their stuff. Completely, yeah. 
Well, I was going to go uh, with uh, Losing My Religion, but Jim poached that one from me. So I'm going to go with a song that doesn't sound anything like one of my favorite artists. And it's a song that I have always kind of hated. Hungry Heart by Bruce Springsteen. Oh, yeah. They, they sped up the tape on his vocal track. It's got those Frankie Valley backing vocals. I just well, detest I, it. I had totally forgotten about that song, and it's funny, man. Because my senior yeah. year in high school, that was on the radio at least once an hour, uh, man. I know, I know, I know. And I it was know. it was on my favorite Bruce album, but I'm not a fan of that that song. <laughs> no. That song, uh, me neither. Hey, we all agree on that. That's great. Yeah, I didn't hate the song as much as y'all did. It didn't wear as well. And again, like I said, they were playing it once an hour. So after about two weeks, I was like, God, won't they go on to the next, whatever is going to be the next single. Please bump it up. <clears throat> that's, a, that's a good, uh, yeah, no, that, that's, a, that's a good choice, Pat. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's real good. Good, uh, good stuff, man. Moving right along, uh, Time's a wasting. So I'm going to say, uh, let's move into our recommendations. Uh, anybody's got recommendations of anything that you've uh, enjoyed this week? And uh, I will just, uh, Patrick, go ahead. I, fresh, fresh in my mind and in my memory because we watched it just last night. It's, it's, a, it's a film that you can uh, stream from Amazon Prime or any other streaming service near you. It's called Crock of Gold, a documentary about Shane McGowan by Julian Temple, who also did The Filth and the Fury about the Sex Pistols. Right. Uh, this, is, uh, this has been in the works for some time, and we finally got to it last night, because yesterday the news broke that John Bon Jovi has positively pulverized the greatest Christmas song of all time, Fairy Tale of New York by the Pogues, and that reminded me that I had been wanting to watch this. So we did. <laughs> and it's the life story of Shane McGowan, a beautiful wreck, born in... Uh, in uh, the Irish countryside, Kilkenny, uh, started drinking when he was like four um, and moved to England as a teenager in the middle of the, the troubles when bombs were going off in London trash cans. And, and, and McGowan was a starch uh, Irish Republican. He was, he was down with that. So, yeah, he and the band raised a lot of hell, took a lot of drugs, and he burned out from touring. I was lucky enough to see the Pogues one time with my wife here in Austin and it was a wonderful show and he was a wreck, but a functional one. So it's, it's, it's a wonderful film that's in places hard to watch, especially when you see like how he's doing now being pushed around in a wheelchair. He did get new teeth, fortunately, uh. but anyway, the film was called crock of gold about one of my all time, the, the front man for one of my all time favorite bands, the Pogues. Oh yeah, so he did cool. get teeth. He did get cool. teeth then. He did get teeth. Uh, it used to bother me seeing him on television with those teeth. Yeah, yeah. He's got. A, there's a great story about him. I've talked about this before. There's a. There's some YouTube videos of uh, G. E. Smith talking about his days as as uh, Saturday Night Live band leader, and the Pogues were on Saturday Night Live, oh, yeah. and for one of the skits, they had a a, a make they had a mock up bar. And Shane McGowan saw it and he went up and he, there was some crew member behind the bar and McGowan goes up and goes, whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> they, didn't, they, they didn't have any. They had bottles that had all your know, colored water and he goes, whiskey, whiskey. He just had to have some whiskey. So he's, uh, that's, 
that's just, uh, it's, it's everything that's wonderful and tragic about him kind of wrapped up into yep. one little vignette. Yep. You got that right. Uh, I've got right. a recommendation that, that comes from, uh, I guess it was last week we were talking with Billy and some other guys about uh, the Naz and Open My Eyes, their first single when Stooky was the singer. Right. which eventually became Todd Rundgren's band and is intertwined that, with Cheap Trick because of, because uh, Stooky that, ended up as the first singer. That came up in our Dagman Nation thread, yeah. man. Yeah. The, uh, uh, Stooky was the first singer of Sick Man of Europe, which eventually became Cheap Trick. But anyway, I thought about where did I first hear Open My Eyes? And it was on my recommendation for this week, Nuggets. Uh, it's oh, a, yeah. Uh, all subtitled original artifacts from the first psychedelic era 1965 right. through 1968 right. the original two disc vinyl nuggets came out in 1972 compiled by lenny k rock critic and and record store <coughs> clerk who became patty smith's longtime lead guitarist and this is and then rhino put out a four disc box set that the first disc is the original 1972 lenny k compilation and then it has three more discs of uh, other local garage bands from the late 60s kind of inspired by the British invasion and it's just it's it is a touchstone for me about what's it's amazing. great about rock it's amazing. Uh, what are yeah. some of the what are some of the less known bands that are on there that um, were inspired yeah by? I'm gonna it's yeah. one of the things that's great is because it's music back then these are local you know Right. bands that maybe right. only put out a right. single here and there right. and i thought i'd do it geographically okay oh, with the cool. four of us okay there's a cut there's a lot of great texas garage bands including 13th floor elevators doing oh, yeah. uh, you're gonna miss me rocky erickson's band and bubble puppy from san antonio doing oh, great yeah. hot smoking sassafras I actually played with Bubble Puppy's drummer, David Four, a couple times. Great guy. Uh, kind of a psychedelic garage band, right? Exactly. Straight, exactly. straight four-piece band. Like, yeah. Straight four-piece band. Kind of like Cream if they had one more member. Exactly. Right? With, with great guitar work, too. Yeah. And David David Four was 17 years old when Bubble Puppy recorded Hot Smoke and Sassafras. Oh, wow. Moving wow, to South baby. Carolina for Buff. The Swingin' Medallions, Double Shot there of My go. Baby's Love. There you go. What a good song, man. My boys. Moving, moving to Massachusetts, Billy's uh, current home. <laughs> my adopted home. Garage Rock Royalty, the Standells, Dirty Water. Oh, oh wow. yeah. yeah. Boston, you're my home. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And Patrick and my home state of uh, Iowa. From Keokuk on the Mississippi River, the great band Gone, spell that yep. G-O-N-N, with the song Blackout of Gretley, about <laughs> a guy who can't yeah. figure out why it's so dark, and it turns out he was wearing his sunglasses. Uh, but it's kind of the, the riff is kind Dude. of sideways, sideways rewrite of Dirty Water. It is, it's an awesome song. There's so much great stuff on this box. Now I checked it out this day, morning and, and it, it turns out that it's, I think it's, it's out of print, but it's widely available used. Uh, you get it on Amazon. You can get it on Discogs. There's lots of places you can you can pick this up. Yeah, and it's just, I mean, that's going on it, my Christmas list. It is <laughs> nuggets. It is. It is just. I just can't describe how great this box is. And well, there have was, been was, others since. There's been there's been one of some British British bands, Nuggets, British Nuggets, yeah. and all these. But the original American one is the one to get, man. It is the one to get. Back when, uh, back, back when I was writing for uh, the local paper in Greenville Edge that we had, 
uh, Rhino was sending me every damn thing that they put out. Mm-hmm. And that, that's when they put out the nuggets and they sent right. it. And I was like, right. well, this, that's interesting. And I mean, to tell you, there wasn't a bad track on that thing. Yeah. And it's yeah. just stuff you never heard of. Well, I mean, I heard of the medallions. Of course I have, but you know, they weren't to Lander university for goodness sakes. But yeah, the, there's uh, a, there's a, Oh, go ahead, Buff. I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just rambling on because <laughs> it's, I just agree with you. It's really good stuff. Can yeah, I, can a, I, I'm going to put in a shameless plug. Um, plug so on. there's a, there, there's a band that I'm lucky enough to play with called the footnotes who have, who have been working on a, uh, an EP of sixties garage rock tunes. And two of those songs, little black egg by the uh, night crawlers. And sometimes good guys don't wear white by the uh, standells uh, are both on this box set too. So. Nice. Let me, let me, let me just, I'm going to, I'm going to help boost his plug, man. Uh, footnotes, man. They are a great band. They are. We've, they are. we've, we've played some shows with them. Uh, we're friends with all the guys in the band. Yeah. Uh, we work with them in other, we work with them in other capacities besides just them as footnotes and us as spook lights. And it's, uh, no, man, they, uh, they're, yeah, they're really tight. And man, uh, Man, Rick Aikens just—he's got a I'll, touch I'll, I'll for doing again. that sixty stuff, man. I mean, he—I'll—I'll he, I'll say it again. Rick Aikens has the best Telecaster tone in this town. He's—he's, uh, yeah. yeah. No, man. No, no offense, I'm not Jim. Gonna, I'm not gonna <laughs> argue with you, man. And uh, and I'm—it's—I it, don't know, man. They just—he—he makes it work for them, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've done a bunch of well, I don't, I don't know about a bunch, probably half a dozen shows with them. I always like being on a ticket with those guys, man. Uh, so yours, Billy? Yeah, and here's what, man. I I had a uh, I had a recommendation, but the recommendation that I had was gonna uh, was also gonna be on my uh, uh, topic today, or books about uh, or books about music, and and it was gonna be on that, but. Uh, listening to Jim's recommendation, uh, I thought of something else, and and here's something that I have recently revisited because I no longer have my vinyl collection, or even if I have it, I don't have any way to play it. But uh, here's my recommendation for if you just want to have fun and do something goofy and and anything by K Tail. <laughs> any of the any of those great KTL samplers could be silly songs, you know, like uh, you know Snoopy and Red Baron by the Royal Guardsmen, or could be you know, uh, you know British Invasion, which I always yeah yeah look what you what do you got music power? What's on it? Jim? Oh, that's a good that's a good one. I've got that. What, one. What's, side what's one, on that side one. one, side one, track one. Smoking in the boys' room, Brownsville Station. Yes, yes. I had, I, yeah, I had a KTL compilation with that on it. I had one called Mindbender that was a great mix of like disco and and just sort of pop rock, man. And and uh, you know, it had bands on it like Ace doing uh, how long? How long has this been going on? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, a yeah. my yeah, favorite. So. My favorite KTL that I got back in the seventies was um. On eight track, it was called Super Bad, and it was all soul, soul songs. So and then the yeah, second that, one was Super, I, I, super I, Bad I, I, is Back. Cuts and, yeah. The second one was Super Bad is Back, and it was even better than the first one. Everything from me and Mrs. Jones to uh, 
tear the roof off that sucker. I mean, all kinds, just all kinds of, man, it's wonderful. Yeah, and I would say this as a note to people listening. If you want to just check out some k stuff, just to listen to it, go to YouTube and punch in k and you will see all these people have uploaded these k albums, and you can just sit there and listen to them. Did you uh, have a favorite k album, Pat? Uh, I've, got, I've got a few, uh, but they all have just goofy titles. I remember uh, uh, Jim, what was the name of that comp that Pravda put out? It was like super amazing smash hits or something like that. <laughs> yeah, sort of a, yeah. a, play, a play on all those KTL things. But, yeah, uh, and Twin Tone had the big hits of Mid-America series. Right, on, right. On right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mid-America. <laughs> nice, yeah. Yeah. Gotta love big hits of Mid-America. Well, let's see, my, my recommendation moves away from music and into the uh, television. Um, I watched a movie on, of course, I think I could just have Netflix and no other television and I would be just fine. There's so many great things that come on there, but this movie uh, was supposed to come out in the theaters, but because of COVID, they went straight to TV and it's a Ron Howard movie called Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, and it based on the novel of the same name, which actually it's not, a, it's not a novel. It's not, a I novel. mean, a true uh, bi- biography, whatever. <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, it's a biography, but anyway, it's, a it's true an autobiography. <laughs> I was getting a lot of recommendations to watch that. And I, and I, well, I gotta uh, tell you, it's good. And, uh, and what I, the, one of the greatest things is besides the script and besides all the true Southern scenery where i mean it, you, even though it's in kentucky it could be easily in spartanburg yeah <laughs> southeast texas man i mean or yeah the characters amy adams who's gorgeous she kind of dumbs it down in this and plays a completely psychotic um woman reminiscent of like somebody i knew in my past uh the <laughs> and uh but the one that everybody kept telling me my friend Rebel and two other people told me, oh, you got to see that movie. The lady that plays Meemaw is Meryl Streep, and she's so good. And I'm like, oh, I love Meryl Streep. What Meryl, Meryl Streep? Street. No, it's Glenn Close. It's Glenn Close. It's Glenn Close. It's Glenn Close. <laughs> and boy, did she ever. And at the end, they show pictures of the real family, and you could not tell the difference between Glenn Close and Meemaw at all. Yeah. Well, the reason uh, that a, I hadn't watched it or read it or and I'm not going to watch it or read it is doesn't have anything to do with the talent or the story or any of that stuff, but it's just really simply this, man. Dysfunctional Southern families hold absolutely no mystery for me whatsoever. And I don't need to see a movie. Uh, you know, to 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 understand the dynamics and yeah, to, know, yeah. to know how family politics yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and there was a reason I moved to Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, all that being said, I'm proud to be from the South, even though they are a little backward sometimes. But there's one quote from the, I mean, there's so many great things in the movie, but one thing that I thought was really cool was a, uh, um, when the the grandson gets so pissed off at his mother that he moves in with Meemaw and he's living with her and he finds that the grass is not always greener on the other side. And uh, she 
you know, he's gotten with these kids that are all smoking weed and all that. And she runs them off. She ran all his friends off and told them not to come back. Bad yeah. And, uh, and he says, uh, Mimo, you running all my friends off. I'm not going to have anybody to talk to. And she looked at him and with a straight face, she said, talk to yourself. It always works for me. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, me too. So there that is. Um, now I'm gonna, and I'm going to say that particular uh, anecdote that you're talking about there is a little bit of create, uh creative license on, on the script writer's part. Cause in the South, really, they wouldn't have said, talk to yourself. They told you to talk to Jesus. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. It that's... wouldn't have been talk to yourself. It'd been, you, you need to talk to Jesus is who you need to talk to. Well, yeah, maybe you want to, you want to slip around with, with uh, you want to slip around with that bad element and smoke that marijuana and, and, and yeah, you need to talk to Jesus. Marijuana. Okay. Um, all that being said, uh, it was a good movie. I don't think anything that Ron Howard's done has basically sucked ever. Uh, Heart of the sea. Uh, well, the heart of the ocean. The one about the, the one about the Essex, the whaling ship that Moby Dick is based off of. Uh, true story. That was not a good movie. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, leave it up to Billy to censor my comment. I'm not censoring <laughs> you. I'm correcting you. Get it? <laughs> That's yeah, just, that's your I got to be careful what I say. We're all double, we're all double secret probation. <laughs> <laughs> your opinion. Just remember, it's just your opinion. Uh, my opinion is everything that Ron Howard has done has been good to some extent. With the obvious exception of backdraft. With the obvious exception of backdraft. <laughs> that, and that one episode of the Andy Griffith show. It's really bad acting. Um, Opie tries psychedelics. Opie tries psychedelics. I think that was the name of it. Yeah, yeah. That was right, right after the one where Aunt Me, Aunt B got drunk, I believe. Uh, yeah. Right after that. So anyway, all that being said, that's part one of the the big show. We're going to play a record, and we're going to come back. Uh, what record are we going to play? It's funny you had mentioned that because I'm trying to mix it up. I decided that I I was uh, turning my back on my Southern Rock audience, so that's why I opened up with Tucker. But then I've got all these other things that I like. So I dug back into a guy. You guys remember a guy named Joe Jackson. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. God, yeah. This is uh, uh, Joe Jackson jumping jive when he got into the big band phase there for a minute. Hey, man, that was, that was good stuff, <laughs> man. Yeah, yeah. Look at that. Crane Magazine. <laughs> wow. Well, is that the book you're holding? It is, and I just oh, it's it. just like mine, exactly yeah. like mine. I I just opened to it to a random page, and there and there they are, the the, the heroes. Yeah, of, I know, uh, I know why that it is, is because Who's you. Who's on the opposite that, page? Because that looks like Adam Ant. Adam Ant, yeah. <laughs> He's opened to that page so many times already that his book naturally opens to that part. I'm surprised. I gotta tell you, man, that's kind of sadistic that they put Adam Ant right. So <laughs> you have to look at that too, man. Yeah, well. uh you know, stand and deliver. Uh, there was about five minutes when I liked Adam, man. I don't know. It, I, don't, I don't know why. Uh, I think Jim did too. Didn't you? Oh, Goody two shoes. It, yeah. No, before that, when Marco Peroni was in the band. Yeah. yeah. Was that stand and deliver or was it? Before? No, no, that was way before that. It was Kings of the, the Kings of the Wild. Frontier oh, Kings Frontier. of the Wild Frontier. 
when they had the when they had the Burundi drums and Marco oh, Perone, yeah. and later oh, went yeah. on to play with uh, the bald chick, Sinead O'Connor. The bald chick. The bald yeah. chick. Oh yeah. Bad. Come on, I'm on I'm on drugs. Yeah, Maybe. well, that's okay. Yeah, you're on the lower weight. Y'all don't ever let me slide when I use that excuse. <laughs> But that's every week. Um, I'm on heavy narcotics. <laughs> I'm gonna have yeah. to get a new lawyer. My lawyer's my lawyer's goofed up on hot balls. <laughs> oh, okay. I, can, I can start drinking again in five days. I'll be I'll be back to normal. Then. Five days? I'd be dead. Good God, man! I think I'm dying just here. <laughs> okay, playing the record. Here it is. The damn record. Here's Joe Jackson. Dum da da dum. Boys, gonna say down there. Our boys, what you gonna say down there? Palomar, Shalomar, Swan is short. Let me take that jive once more. Boys, take a ride on down to the gate. Oh, boys, gotta take a side elevator. Can't you hear those hip cats call? Come on, boys, let's have a ball. Jim, jam, jump, it's a jumping jive. Makes you dig your jive on the mellow side. Hip, hip. Hip, hip. Jim, jam, jump, it's a solid jive. Makes you nine foot tall when you're four foot five. Hip, hip. Now don't you be that Icaroo Get hep, come on and follow through When you get your steady food Make the jump jump like the gators do Jim jam jump is a jumping jive Makes you like your eggs on the Jersey side Hep, 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 hep The Jim jam jumping jive Makes you hep, hep on the mellow side I know you dug this mellow jive Cause you dig it on the mellow side And we're back And that was Joe Jackson <laughs> Jumping jive How about you That's a Jumping good jive I, uh, I liked him uh, You know the first time I ever saw anybody Put out a um, Two album set on two 10 inch instead of one 12 inch 
that Luke Sharp album and it came with a little Luke Sharp button attached to it. I thought that he had to be the coolest guy on the planet. And, uh, and so I saw they I did a that original Joe Jackson band did a reunion tour about 10 years ago and played here in Austin. And it was just awesome. Oh, played great. all the stuff out those first two records. Look, Sunday up, papers. Man. Oh man, so good. So good. Yeah, I, I used to love, I would go to the jukebox and I would play She Really Going Out With Him like just over and over again. I don't know. I, I, it's kind of like I got turned on to him the same time I got turned on to Elvis Costello. And um, yeah, yeah, it's funny, Bob. Yeah, me too. I mean, you know, within you know a few months, but yeah. Uh, I tell you what I, li- I liked about uh, the Joe Jackson stuff, and you mentioned that as you. I, I love the way he can put go- goofy ass lines in his lyrics. That if you were just reading them, you'd go, "No, man, God, what's that in there for?" But they worked. <laughs> and yeah, anyway. Well, I'm on. I'm gonna do. Uh, we're gonna talk about great. Uh, musical or rock and roll or music related books. And I'm going to do mine because I have to step away for a couple of minutes and, uh, and you guys just take it from there till I come back. And I, I think you, you just uh, talk amongst yourselves, whatever. Okay. Yeah. Mine are, I'm going to go uh, mine sort of in order from five to five to one. I only picked one. Oh, okay. Good. Why does that not surprise me? Um, my first one, uh, is about a band that I wasn't really, I'm sorry, but I wasn't that big a fan of Led Zeppelin. I liked them. Okay. But the book hammer of the gods blew me away and, uh, written by music journalist and Rolling Stone staffer, Stephen Davis, excuse me, I'm burping published in 1985 unauthorized of course uh became a new york times best seller and uh uh like i put in my notes to myself here when i was in the hospital for 40 days back in 1998 and nearly died one of the things that i was doing when i wasn't screaming in agony was reading this book and uh, it was really good. A lot of groupy stories and a lot about Jimmy Page and his kinky exploits and a lot of stories about Peter Grant, the manager, and all his what, what I really liked were the stories about Peter Grant and uh, Richard, yeah. uh, the, their road manager. Uh, that, the, the stuff about the band, it, you know, that was – that was sort of like teeny bop mag fluff, but yeah. I really, I really liked the, uh, except for the whips and stuff. Well, it, it gave you, it gave the, it gave you, or gave me great insight into how the band formed and, and, you know, and, and what Paige was looking for when he was trying to find the pieces and they were still thinking that they would be mostly a straight up blues band and, and, uh, you know, and it goes through uh, how they auditioned, uh, how they how they auditioned the people, and 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 how they booked it, and how they made their deal, and all. Well, it was very interesting. Very interesting. And uh, now, uh, Peter Grant, Jimmy Page, and Robert Plant all denied most of the stories that were in the book. Right. However, many sources close to the band say that it was very, very accurate. So, of course, that that's what I've heard that story over and over with different bands, like including. Uh, when Scott Freeman wrote the book on the Almond Brothers, they Greg and all of them just hated it because um, they said that none of it was true. 
but it was taken from police records and uh, all this kind of guys kind of had to be true. court testimony. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My number four is uh, called "Please Be With Me," a song for my father, Dwayne Allman, by Galadriel Allman, twenty fourteen. A very sweet girl. She is so sweet, and she does a great job writing. And you know, she um, she was like two or something when her dad died. So she don't remember him, but she's set about talking to everybody that did know him and getting as much information as she could. And, and, you know, uh, just a great way of remember, remembering her dad and, um, got tons and tons of great stories in that book. You know, Dwayne Allman, if you're a Dwayne Allman fan, um, just lots and lots of information in there. It's really cool. I enjoyed it. Um, my, uh, my top three kind of like, I couldn't really pick which one I like the best. Cause all three are my three of my favorite books ever. Uh, the first one is, um, uh, I, I never could pronounce the guy's name. I'm sorry, but the book is called let it blur to life in times of Lester bangs. America's Great Rock Credit by Jim DeRogatis. Jim DeRogatis. Everybody calls him DeRo. DeRo. Turn your volume up, Pat. Everyone calls him DeRo. People call him DeRo, but I don't know. Okay. DeRo. DeRo. A fascinating biography of a great writer for magazines like Cream, Rolling Stone, and Village Voice. One of my favorite, 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 favorite rock critics ever. Uh, great stories and uncensored peek behind the curtain of 70s rock excess. Let it blurt. This is a good one. Another one that I was completely blown away by is the uncensored history of Rolling Stone magazine by Robert Draper, 1990. And uh, it was a, uh, talks about the good old days when Rolling Stone was really good. Uh, I'm not going to say what it became later, but it was really good in those days draper Robert, portrays uh, robert's a friend of mine and now he's yeah writing. draper is a, is a friend of patrick's you're still uh volume up a little bit man yeah I'm, man. Un I'm unplugged uh, oh. draper is a friend of yours well isn't that cool yeah. you tell him you got a friend that likes the uh, book a lot anyway i'm great sure book sherry never hears that uh yeah. they portrayed uh yon winter as a talented but drug abusing scattered celebrity crazed individual a political dilettante and a former love child and uh all this i mean he didn't have a whole lot of love for jan but he talks about how jan somehow took all that and still made and there you've got the same book i've got in your hand how about yep. that and uh it, it is really good and he somehow made rolling stone into what it became uh you know great anti-establishment magazine that took off and became you know, the seems like the politics kind of started taking front and center over the music there after a while. Man, look at that, man! I would, uh, let me let me let me say this just real quick, Bob, and I'm, I know you you want to get to the end of your list, but I would, man, you know, I don't necessarily think that that the politics and all that stuff took over Rolling Stone all that much. I, I for me personally, uh, and this is you know personal anecdote, but. You know, when the music style started changing and, you know, and hip hop and rap and, and, you know, that's not anything I'm wired into. So, 
you know, it, the magazine for me became, you know, less relevant and, and, but I, I've, you know, I, I've heard the argument you make, you know, that they got away from music and they got too much into fashion and, and, you know, and politics and, and, you know, general Americana culture. And, but, uh, I don't know, man. The last time I picked one up and read it, it still seemed like a good magazine. I didn't know anything about anybody in it. But, well, it's know, still but, the great thing is he does still people from our generation in there. I mean, I've seen a great, great Springs. I mean, you know, things that Jan likes, like he loves Bruce. So he did like a big thing on Springsteen. He's done a big thing on Neil Young. He had one on Willie Nelson. Uh, Almond Brothers, all that kind of stuff. It's in there amongst well, all, all that. Stuff, all that stuff is good. Yeah, <laughs> all yeah. that mixed in amongst all the uh, more current things. So no matter what anybody says about it, uh, Jan Winter has made a. I mean, golly, it's amazing that he made it in such success. I mean, if you look at the sheer number of issues that they put out, print and subscribers. It's like in this day and age to have that many is almost unheard of. I got to tell you a, a Jim Dero story that you may not know, Buff. Dero used to write for Rolling Stone and Winter fired him because Dero gave Hootie and the Blowfish a bad review. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You just say, man, I'm pretty sure Hootie and those guys earned that bad review. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know what? And and that brings up and I'm getting off track here, but I'm gonna do it anyway in the in the you know, in the spirit of we're an exploratory show. Uh disco gets a lot of gets a lot of heat, man, for being the period where the most insepid, brainless, not good, you know, music was was the most canned, the the most you know, formula based. And I disagree with that, man. <clears throat> I think the very worst era and era of, of American music was that was that damn '90s jam stuff, man. All those bands, Hootie and the Blowfish, Sister Hazel, uh, God, it was all the same damn track, man. They, they they all had like one trick, and it was the same trick that all the other ones had. God, that was terrible. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, so sometimes you just got to get something off your chest. Well, it's the festival season. That's like the airing of the grievances. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, now that Billy said that, I'll, I'll say I, I love Hootie and the Blowfish and Sister Hazel. So uh, moving right along. Uh, the, uh, Fuck up. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. It's true. And Blues uh, Traveler. You like Blues Traveler, don't you? To a point, uh, kind of gets on my nerves after a while. Because that thirtieth second, yeah, John, blowing that, in that damn harmonica. That speed, that speed harmonica playing, it just kind of grates on my nerves. And uh, there were a couple of songs, just a couple of songs. And well, the Hootie, it was just like the first albums, all I really liked. And uh, Sister Hazel, I guess it's because I'd seen Sister Hazel live, and it was good. And I'd seen Hootie and them before they were ever popular. And they were at Alice Pump House in Greenville. They would play like once a month. They'd come up from University of South Carolina and play at Alice Pump House. And at that time, they were doing cover tunes and a lot of country songs. 
there was a lot of Merle Haggard, Billy well, J. Uh, uh, yeah, um, Darius. Yeah, he he identifies now as a Nashville country guy. Yeah, well, he always was country. He just kind of like, you know, the record company talked him into doing, um, you know, going with a certain image. Just like with they did. jam band stuff, like widespread panic. Oh, Lord. Oh, don't even go there. Well, again, man, same era, same region of the country. Yeah. Well, that's uh, Athens, man. Yeah, widespread. The, uh, and there was one from uh, Montgomery called Rat Race Choir that was regionally huge, man. Huh, Good God. It's like, can't you guys play any song that isn't in E? <laughs> you know? And, and the answer was no. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, well, um, I had... Uh... Hold on there. I well, have, you had a list, but I already screwed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you throw me off track, but that's okay. That's what we're here for, right? Well, you're a professional. I expect you to recover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a professional. Yeah, professional something. I don't know what. Yeah, we're not uh, going to get into I only that. have we're, one. We're more. already on double secret probation. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, it is. That's right. We're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to make us start signing some sort of a contract or something. Well, yeah, you, uh, can, you can. <laughs> no, not me. I don't sign contracts. <laughs> I don't sign contracts, any kind at all, especially if it has the word in it, recoupable. Um, that's a whole nother story. My number one, number one, number one was a book that I liked it so many times that I must have read it 10 times. Uh, by a guy named Bob Green, and it's called Billion Dollar Baby, 1974. A uh, a journalist went on the road with the Alice Cooper Band for the Billion Dollar Babies tour and wrote about it. And uh, just a really good music journalist, writer, and kind of a, they had him even joining in on the stage show, um, they would dress him as Santa Claus and bring him out on stage and like beat him to death. Not really, but make it look like it was. No, like Alice Cooper would beat somebody. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, not really. But it was. Well, uh, where were we for years, man? And it's only been in the last few months that I got uh, that I got a sense of, of, of how much you liked Alice Cooper. That's and. I have to think some of that's got to be your theater background, right? That was the thing oh, yeah. that always impressed me about Alice Cooper, man. Was it, it wasn't just music? I mean, man, that was theater. You well, know? not just Al, not just Alice, but I mean, it, for me, it goes even further back to uh, the crazy world of Arthur Brown. Right. And, well, uh, we we talked about that recently. Yeah, all and, that stuff, and then later on. Uh, and that meatloaf stuff, which meatloaf was based on the musical, man. Yeah. Yes, and then another band I dearly loved was the Tubes when they had all that theatrical. Uh, they did some crazy theatrical, basically bordering on pornographic stage shows. And you know, Wendy, Wendy and the Plasmatics was very theatrical, too. Have you ever checked out Gore? I mean, not for their music, but I mean, the, the stage show that those guys do, man, the costumes are amazing. Man. Yeah, yeah. Pretty crazy. I've but... not, and I've never figured out how anybody can speed shred one of those tiny guitars, wear a spike glove that covers the, I mean, it goes on most of his fingers. And, and you know, and it's, it's all that 
sword and sorcery and all that stuff, man. But and it's not ever anything that that I would like buy a record of. But I might would go buy a ticket and go see the show, man. I, w- I went to go see him at uh, Riot Fest in Chicago. It was it was a ton of fun. Man, and it is a, it's a, like I said, the costumes are just amazing, yeah. man. Yeah. And they, they tell a story, right? I mean, it's, it's mm. like musical theater. It's, yeah, yeah. Well, now, uh, what's going to happen here is you three are going to do yours. I'm going to have to step away for a couple of minutes. So uh, who wants to go yeah. next? And then just go I, from one to the other. I'll go next, man. Bring me beer, would you? Okay, I'll be right back. I, I've got a couple <laughs> in the refrigerator. Yeah, bring, bring me beer. Um. Cause I, I didn't pick five, man. I only picked one, and uh, it's a book by uh, Noel Monk, and it's called Twelve Days on the Road with the Sex Pistols in America." <clears throat> and the and Noel Monk was their road manager, and the parts that I like, it, it was kind of like that. Uh, the both pick uh, Hammer of the Gods. The rock and roll parts of it, I, I, you know, that I didn't find that particularly interesting. But I did like the logistics and the mechanics of how they managed to uh, get the Sex Pistols, who were not professional musicians, man. They were a punk band, and so, you know, they had they had completely different, uh, they had completely different goals of of what defined a, a, and constituted a successful tour. And for them, it wasn't, oh, well, we played a song, you know, we sold a bunch of tickets and the crowd liked it. And they didn't care anything about that. <clears throat> and there's a lot in the book about, uh, about the relationships between uh, the road crew and the guys in the band and Malcolm McLaurin, who was a marketing genius. Love him or hate him, guy was a marketing genius. And, uh, and, and, and you know, it's sort of this, the part of, of that book that I like were the stories of uh, how they dealt with the different venues and the promoters and, again, the logistics. They did that tour in the wintertime, and uh, – they were going across the Midwest in a bus, and it was like, you know, freezing. And, and uh, they played uh, uh, Randy's Rodeo in San Antonio, which <clears throat> I never played that venue, but a, a really good friend of mine, Wayne Gathright, used to play there a lot. Uh, and he was, you know, we talked about that, and he's like, yeah, man, it was just like this dive. It was really big, which was – if you had a draw, which was why it was a good place to play, you could make a lot of money because even at two bucks a head, you know, you could get 500 people in there. And, uh, and, and it's, a, it's a pretty good book. And, and, uh, and there's some sections about uh, when, they get to, when they get to California, uh, the record company, somebody from the record company takes them out. And uh, there's a scene where they go uh, – they go into a nightclub there, and uh, I don't know Bowie or somebody's doing their spiders from Mars, and they're they're like tuning it up at a club date in, in L.A. and and uh, the guys in the band are uh, Soupy Sills kids, and I met one of them one time, actually a couple times, but I can't remember their name. Hunt and Hunt and, Hunt and Tony. <clears throat> Hunt was the one I met. Uh, yeah. And uh, because he he lived in Austin for a while, 
and you know it's just the sort of the the documentation of the interaction between the rest of the music and rock and roll world with the first punk band you know it was it was fascinating stuff man because there were people that hated what they were that hated the band but admired what they were doing and 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 there's a there's a lot about that in the book and that was the only thing that i really picked you know i mean there are other ones the one about jim morrison and somebody probably patrick is gonna pick uh keith richards book <laughs> and you know I, and i've read a bunch of those but as far as something that's kind of different and kind of interesting this was because it was about one particular tour and at the time man i mean they were novel that was new punk rock had was had just happened and uh so anyway uh jim let's have yours next uh all right all right well um my first the the uh my first candidate is kind of a cheat because it's two books and that is uh the what was called the new Rolling Stone record guide. It was the second version that came out that was had a blue cover came out in the early eighties. And the reason I'm picking that one is because it kind of covers the, what we'd call the classic rock era. And along with that as its companion piece is the trouser press record guide, uh, which for the first version of which was called the trouser press guide to new wave records. And then they kind of dropped the new wave, but it was still had that slant to it. Those were both really essential in, in you know, me trying to fill in some holes in, in my uh, rock and roll knowledge. And uh, one of the reasons that I'm picking the Rolling Stone one, as opposed to Bob Criscow's decade reviews, we, Criscow's got a book from the six, 70s, 80s, and 90s, is that the fact that the Rolling, Rolling Stone book is a variety of critics, so it's not one uniform voice. And as a matter of fact, you've got critics reviewing records and giving them bad reviews, whereas other critics in the same book would have given them good reviews and vice versa. But it, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it was, it, it's, I think, a, a good record guide for someone who really wants to try to get a broad knowledge of, of music is, is a great thing to have. And the Rolling Stone record guide just was, whether you agree with its, its evaluations or not, it was pretty comprehensive in what it covered. I remember this version came out when the replacements only had one record out and it was a very brief review. I think it was a three or four star. It said they, you know, they're snotty and they sound like the Ramones with high speed lead guitar put over it. Great record. Who knows if we'll ever hear from them again, who cares? And it, that was Chris Gow. Was it, are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Eh, I don't know about that. Prove me wrong. <laughs> After you finish your list. Oh, that reminds have... me. Yeah, because I, I only did one on my list and it was the second one I was going to do and we'll come back to that, but go ahead. So anyway, that's, um, you know, I'm, I don't have that, that book in front of me, but I'm trusting my recollection even though I'm on painkillers. The next one is a novel, and I've mentioned this on the show before, and it's called The Wishbones by Tom Parada. It's his first novel. He went on to greater success he wrote the abstinence teacher uh, election, the wish, uh, the leftovers, which became a very dystopian uh, HBO series. Um, 
but The Wishbones is a great book, and it's certainly relatable for those of us who've played in bands that really never went anywhere. Uh, it is a novel. Uh, it's about a guy in his early 30s who still lives at home and, and has a day job and plays in a band that mostly plays weddings. Uh, and it's got great insight about how people in bands relate to each other, how there are rivalries with other local bands, uh, and then you end up playing with them and they become friends, all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's really about growing up. It's about leaving adolescence and trying to be an adult and how rock and roll certainly does not promote that. But, yeah. but, but rather keeps you in some kind of perpetual adolescence as long as you're playing as long as you're playing rock and roll. Why well, I keep doing it. And, uh, and it's, <laughs> it's just, a, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not Parada's best quote unquote book. He became a better writer as, as it went along, but it's my favorite book of his just because of the subject matter. And he played in bands when he was a teenager too. So it is just, it's, like I said, it's about playing and loving rock and roll, playing in a band and not going anywhere with your life and trying to grow up and, and how rock and roll really helps prevent you from growing up, uh, which is one reason that I still love it and still do it. Thank God. Yeah, I was going to say, you need to add thank God. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay, uh, next one on my list is Please Kill Me, The Uncensored Oral History of Punk by Mike uh, McNeil and Jillian McCain. That was such a good book, man. It's, it is like, you know, putting together an oral history can be difficult because you interview a bunch of people and you take a bunch of interviews that have been published before and you put them together in some kind of order that tells a story without any overriding narrative. Uh, and I think please kill me does a great job. And for those of us who are biased toward New York punk, as opposed to English LA punk, punk, it is, or, or English punk. Uh. It is, it's, 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 it shows that, I mean, it, it has, and I like, I like a lot of English punk. I love the Pistols. Uh, I love, love, love the Clash. But, I mean, the, the CBGB's uh, Max's Kansas City era is, is the real story of, of punk. And, and, of course, going back to the Velvet Underground and the Stooges. And that, and that and book this, has, a, has a section about just the L.A. punk guys, too, right? It's got – yeah, the, yeah. the germs and Darby Crash and – Yeah, yeah, when it, yeah the, the more hardcore when West Coast yeah. hardcore – but uh, it's it's New York centric, and that's one thing I like about it because that's how I first learned about punk rock was was when the first Ramones record came out. So this is a it's it's a great book. Uh, it's come out in, in a few different editions. The one I have in my hand is the 10th anniversary edition. I think there's been one since then. Uh, but it is a a terrific book about the history of punk rock. And it's got um, the best picture ever of Iggy Pop covered in blood after, yeah. after jumping into the damn empty seats in the front row. He's got blood running all out his face. Uh, the the next one on my list, uh, I, I figured I needed to have at least one bio, biography, rock biography, because there, there's so many of them. Uh, and um, the one I went with was uh, Philip Norman's John Lennon, A Life. And one of the reasons is because it is, it's, it's an exemplary biography. It is not just for rock biographies, but for any biography. It, it is highly researched, meticulously sourced, carefully written. And when you're dealing with a guy like Lennon, you got to be conscious of what you're doing because he was a, a brilliant artist, 
a brilliant musician yep. and for most of his life, a right bastard is a human being. Yep. And, yep. and <clears throat> writing about that truthfully and, and without pulling punches, but also without tipping to one side or the other, uh, staying straight down the middle and, and telling, telling the truth, I think is a difficult thing. Uh, I think there are a lot of people who ignore Lennon's personal shortcomings because he was such a, a genius. And there are also people who ignored Lennon's genius because he had so many personal shortcomings. And I think what Norman does is he walks that line and tells the story. It's a long book and it's not an exciting read. He's not, it's not flashily written. It's just a good, solid biography that can stand. So, so any, it's more any of a really of, good biography than a music yeah, book. It, man, it is. Man. It is. It is. And it's, it's a, I think he did a terrific job with a very difficult subject. I've got one more. And I thought about, you know, doing a think piece, a Griel Marcus type book, you know, Lipstick Traces or something like that great book or a David Burns, How Music Works, which is a great book. But I got to go with psychotic reactions and carburetor dung the collection oh, yeah. the first collection oh, yeah. of lester banks writings it is a book uh i don't know how many times i've read it i've read it a I, ton. I, I love how much all the three of you guys man i mean he yeah i mean he yeah that's the that's a whole he's a holy grail for y'all man. Oh, and yeah. it, it's I mean, and, he, and, he was a great writer and some of those pieces I had read when they originally published in Cream, uh, but having them all in one place was just, I just read it obsessively. I remember I had a job interview once where they asked me that question, you know, what's the latest book you read? Just, I think just to try to see if you actually read books. And it was Psychotic Reactions and Carburetor Dung. And the guy who was, review, who was interviewing me was in his, you know, this was back in the late 80s and he was in his late 60s. And so he wouldn't relate to this at all. And so I had to try to convince him that what I was reading was literarily worthwhile. So I got into a spiel about how he was, you know, you know, what the, what the, uh, who, uh, who edited that, who compiled that book? Was it? Uh, it was Gr- uh, Grill Marcus. Yeah. Grill Marcus. Yeah. Who said, you know, uh, one of the conceits was that for a while, Lister Bang, the best writer in America could pretty much only write record reviews. Uh, and, uh, and I, I use that as my takeoff point, but anyway, I, I, it's just, you can pick it up and read any piece uh, and, uh, it is just, it's just, it's just fantastic. And of all the, th- the things that have been written about Lester Bangs or by Lester Bangs, that is my, my favorite compilation. So that gets number one on my list. I got the job. Boom. <laughs> I've got, I've got a tag onto that too. I mean, uh, uh, Billy, is accusing us of being a. Uh, no, I'm not accusing y'all. I mean, I just I hadn't read as much of his stuff as y'all have. I, I like I mean, reading him because he was brilliant and a, a just you know you could say writer, but the thing that I really liked about him was the way he thought. Man, yeah, he had a, it, well, you know, and it depended on how much cough syrup he drank that day too. But it's like, yeah. but Lester, uh, the. I, I just wanted to tack on to people that may not know that are listening that yes, uh, Jim's book is, is just a treasure, especially the, especially the chapter about hanging out with wet Willie and Jimmy Hall in Macon, Georgia. That was hilarious. And then, uh, but then the follow up, uh, mainline and blood feast is equally compelling. So yeah, Lester Bangs. I mean, he lived lived short life, but boy, he put out some uh, really great stuff. 
you were gone, Buff, when I made my choice, my, when I gave my picks. I and did, I, yeah. And I had a whole bunch, but I really only chose one. But there was a second one I wanted to add, and I was, wanted to wait till you came back because I wanted to talk about it. It's one of your books, Carolina Dreams. Oh. And and what oh, I really wow. liked what I really liked about that book is when you think of music in South Carolina, you think about the Marshall Tucker band and you, and that's all you, and I really like the sections of that book. You covered the early RB scene. There were doo-wop groups there. There was a whole, there was a whole just bass, great music that if most people don't know existed unless they live there because well, the Marshall Tucker band came along, sucked all the damn air out of the room. That's true. Well, thank you for that. But they, they, uh, and it was just concentrating on upstate of um, Spartanburg and Greenville. Right. But, you know, we had one of the greatest guitar players in the history of the world that came out of Spartanburg by the name of Hank Garland. Right. Oh, yeah. Sugarfoot. And, uh, and yeah. that was Toy's, Toy's hero was really? Hank Garland. Yeah. So it's, it's funny how it all interconnects because well, it was like my hero. I just thought historically, man, you did a great job with that well, book, you. and and, and you, you covered, you know, you, you sent me a signed copy. It was one of the first couple times we'd worked together, and I got home and it was in the mailbox, and and I was like, oh, this will be great, man. It'll, you know, and and I, being a Marshall Tucker band fan, I was like, man, I can't wait to read this. It was like a chapter and a half on the Marshall Dugger band and the rest of it is on all this great music. And I'm, I'm, I've only read, I read the book twice and I don't remember the names, of all the performers. You talked about an RB singer, an RB singer that was from Greenville. Escarita. Um, yeah, that was it. Yeah, and, if it hadn't been for Escarita, little Richard would have never had his. Right. Image. Right. I remember yeah. little Richard dying. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and that was just, I mean, that was stuff that you just, I didn't know and you never, ever hear, you know? It's amazing. That's, I don't know, man, as far as being a quote unquote writer, I mean, I, you know, I hate to, say, hate to call myself a writer, but I do yeah, write. don't worry about it. I don't call you that. Oh, well, thank you. I, you call me a lot of other things. I do. Yeah. But the, uh, <laughs> but you know, but the, uh, my thing in life, it seems to me that my life goal has always been to, uh, chronicle things that I feel like people should always remember artists and music and you know all this different stuff that I just don't want to see forgotten you know it's like like Escarita there aren't that many people that know about Escarita but little Richard thought that he was the greatest thing in the world. Right, right. You know, and, and, and another really flamboyant R&B singer, right? And, yes. And, and in fact, Little Richard said in his biography that he uh, uh, he took his pompadour idea, his pencil thin mustache, right, everything right. from Eskew. Well, Eskew was a lot taller. Eskew was um, almost seven feet tall, and. Uh, <laughs> And you know what was this funny, funny stories that um, little Richard, when he would go down to the Greyhound bus station in Macon, waiting around to try and pick somebody up back when right. he was grappling right. with whether or not he was gay or not. Right. And then Eskew came off of the bus one night. He was Eskew was playing piano for Sister Rosa, a gospel singer, and he saw he said Eskew came off the bus, and I'd never seen anything more beautiful in my life. 
And uh, it's, it's just, there's such great stories about that. But Escarita's music, if you listen to it, he did do drop in and it went nowhere. And then little Richard made a big, huge shift hit of it. You know, so it, it, there's so many people like that. A lot of country people, a lot of, a lot of, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of great of guitar people. players, man. You, you covered a bunch of those session guitar players that nobody, you know, unless you are a, a serious reader of album credits nobody's ever heard of them but then you get to reading their credits you're like oh i know that song i know that song i know that song and you know it's stuff they worked on i just thought it was a really good uh i thought it was a really good chronicle uh, of you know a significant and 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 relevant you know music the history of a uh, music history of a particular region that either gets overlooked or gets pigeonholed into Marshall Tucker band. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I yeah. wish the, I wish the book was still available. I mean, it, it, after it sold out, uh, you know, Marshall Tucker entertainment in Beverly Hills published the thing. And then after the initial 10,000 or whatever were gone, they didn't reprint it and never will because, you know, anyway, so whatever. Right. So, just, it's just not there anymore. <laughs> but that's the way it goes, right? Anyway, it's moving on. Great book, man. Well, thank you. That's very nice of you to say. It makes, you know, hearing something positive about my writing just does world of good for me because you, you can go through life and write all this stuff and people don't ever say anything. Or even notice. Yeah. And, and it's that way with music too, uh, you know, and then you know, unless you do something wrong and then they bring it to your attention. Right. Then, you, then they never <laughs> stop talking about yeah. that. Yeah. So, so anyway, um, you know, where are we? Where are we? Where are, are we? Down to Pat. Speaking of Lester Bangs and, uh, yes, I'll, and I'll we should pick up where I left off before the, the break. Uh, <clears throat> my first book recommendation is a picture book, a coffee table book called cream America's only rock and roll magazine. Yay! It's so much fun. <laughs> it's so much fun to look at. I got to tell a short story about this and then Billy will ask a question and it'll wind up being a long story. But anyway, right. um, <laughs> back when I was at the Austin American Statesman, I used to sit next to the books editor. His name is Jeff Salomon. And uh, when you're the books editor, you get boxes and boxes of books all day long. I was the books editor for the time for a time. Jeff, uh, as it happens, uh, had worked at the Village Voice and was Bob Criscow's editor. Anyway, so we're about the same age. I think he's a year younger than me. And it's getting around October when the publishers start sending out the Christmassy coffee table books for review. And he opens up a book or he opens up a box and he holds this up. And we both went, ooh, because we were such yeah. huge fans of the magazine. Yeah. I knew, I knew because, I knew because of the, the, he was the books editor, and I knew his background so very well. And we were good friends. I knew he was going to take it for himself to review. <laughs> the mail came twice a day. The second batch comes. He opens up another box from the same publisher. There's another copy of this book. And this oh. is it. <laughs> Do you that feel lucky? Mine. That was mine. That was That's a good great. Christmas. So, I got to tell you. That'll cost you like a hundred bucks now. I mean, I think it's yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Out of print. My second one is a wonderful, wonderful uh, music biography by uh, an amazing, the, the late great, amazing Nick Toshis, who wrote two just incredible music biographies. He wrote Dino, and. Uh, and his uh, biography of uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, Hellfire, 
is just incredibly well written. And I used to teach writing workshops at like the National Press Club and stuff. And one of the one of the sessions I would do was great openings. And I would use the opening of this book as an example of setting the scene and painting a portrait of your character at the very, very beginning and letting that carry on through. So the late, great Nick Tosh's Hellfire, also Dino, the book about Dean Martin. Moving across the pond, as we say, my, <laughs> my number three is a great history called England's Dreaming Anarchy, Sex Pistols, Pop Rock <laughs> and Beyond right, by yeah. John Savage. It's it, it, it says anarchy, sex pistols, punk rock, and beyond. It could as well say, and before, because <laughs> this book actually starts in the 1940s with the Zoot Suit Riots and then the Teddy Boys and the Mods and the Rockers in the 60s up to uh, punk, the economics of it, the revolution of it, the fashion of it. Um, it's, it's like 600 pages long, and I didn't want it to stop, you know. Yeah. Then again, the, 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 the real punk moment was barely a year or two at most. Yeah. England's Dreaming by John Savage. When you're done with that, and I'll see you next year. Uh, <laughs> companion volume, Last Gang in Town. Oh, the Story yeah. and Myth of the Clash by Marcus Gray. I do, I do believe that one is out of print. But... It, it is, is it is just, yeah, it is just like the, the Lennon book and just like the Savage book. This one is like deeply researched, exceptionally well detailed, and yet you can kind of breeze through it. Um, there's no slow sections or eat your peas sections or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, last gang in town. The story and myth of the class. When I was putting this list together with great difficulty, I mean, this morning, Cindy and I were here, my wife, Cindy, uh, and our dog was getting a massage because, yes, we're the people who have a dog massage therapist. I was sitting here going, how in the hell do I do this? I've got five or six books by or about Springsteen alone. How do I narrow it down? Oh, so I, yeah. Uh, but, and so what I, what I really tried hard to do is not mention books I've mentioned before, like Just Kids by Patti Smith, like Girl in a Band by Ken Gordon. Yeah. However, as my final selection, yeah. I'm going to recommend one that I probably have recommended before, and that is Our Band Could Be Your Life, Scenes from the American Indie Underground, 1981 to 1991 by Michael Azarad. These are mini biographies of basically every band I listened to in college. Black Flag, The Minutemen, Mission of Burma, Minor oh. Threat. Husker Du, Replacement, Sonic Youth, Butthole Surfers, Big Black, Dinosaur Jr., Fugazi, Mud Honey. Um, it's just, it's the stuff I cut my teeth on. Another story about this book is when I, uh, when I was books editor, I got this book and I said, I'm the books editor. I'm going to review this book <laughs> because there's nobody in the newsroom more qualified to review this than me. So I did. And it came out on paper, in paperback. And they, they took a little slice of my review and used it as a blurb for the back cover. Years go by, and I'm on a plane from Austin to Des Moines, connected in Dallas, and I'm sitting next to this young man, red-haired guy, and he's reading the paperback of Our Band Could Be Your Life. And I'm watching on my laptop a, a movie of Bob Mould, the Bob Mould tribute concert at uh, the Disney Theater in Los Angeles. And so he's interested, and I know what he's reading, and I say, that's a great book. So we start talking, and where are you going? Who are you going to go see in Des Moines? And it turned out 
that I had, I had worked with his dad and his mom. And uh, I said, you're, Con you're Connor Wells. I knew you when you were six. <laughs> and then he turns over the back cover of the book and he says, oh, yeah, and you're Patrick Beach. <laughs> oh. this, this is your blurb. So, yeah. My, uh, not that those were in any particular order, but among these five, the one that I would most heartily recommend if your taste is anything like mine, and if it is, I'm deeply, deeply sorry, our band could be your life. Scenes from the American Indie Underground, 1981 to 1991 by Michael Azared. Azared was also the co-author with Bob Mould of Mould's autobiography, See a Little Light, which was just fantastic. I thought hard about lipstick traces too, Jim. And I did not recommend, of course, the Keith Richards autobiography or anything that I talked about before. But man, I could I could do a month's worth of podcasts about music books that I just yeah. adore. Oh yeah, me too. Oh, no. me too. I really go far, and I was, I would say I didn't like the book, except that wasn't exactly true. I liked the book. By the end, I didn't like Jerry Lee Lewis. Another, yeah. another like the uh, like you were talking about, Jim, about uh, walking the fine line of a biography of somebody that's a good artist but a bastard of a human. And that was that was a lot of what I came away with the. The Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis biography. Well, that's 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 I mean, that's he, why he that's why I was so destructive to... in a way that he not only insisted he destruct, but he wanted everybody around him to destruct as well. Right. Man. No, this is this is the passage that I always used to teach. It's the very beginning of the book, and it's the middle of the night, and it talks about where all the Lewises came from. And <laughs> hell, Jerry Lee Lewis would tell you in the middle of the night when he seemed to have the power to evoke to drape himself at any hour. Hell, he'd tell you looking a squint as the veins in his wrist receding into the memory of his father's tales and with tales of his father's brothers. Hell, he'd tell you, we got a big history, the Lewises. Wild drinkers, wild gamblers. And the final <laughs> wild son would look away from his veins and regard the whiskey in the one hand, the cigar in the other. F-ups, I guess, he would say, <laughs> and laugh or cast an evil murmur, depending on which night he was in the middle of and which cloak he wore. Doesn't well, that set the scene and the character? Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, uh, that, that's very good. I, I was very surprised. I know you had a hard time, Patrick. Uh, I sure did. Down, but I, uh, I was very surprised there was no Springsteen. Um, I thought you would at least pick one of the two Born to Run books. <laughs> the, uh, I was telling somebody the other day, I said, you know, Born, there was a Born to Run out years ago about Dave Marsh. And they're like, really? Mm -hmm. That was a good book, actually. Um, but Bruce's Born to Run has it's almost made my list. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. Almost did. But it's, I don't know. It's kind of six of one, half dozen of the other as far as these books. I mean, the ones you mentioned, too, the one about the clash I ordered. Oh gosh, just a couple of months ago on eBay, I got from a guy for 20 bucks and that's just really a really great book. Takes yeah. me back college days. I really like that. I really liked it except for, uh, uh, Jim's pick of, of the, uh, of the Lemon biography, which as you said, was more biography than, than, than music piece. Uh, I really like that, you know, we kind of stayed away from the most obvious ones, man. We, nobody picked the Keith one. Nobody picked the, you know, the, which is probably one of the most famous music biographies and not a particularly good book. Uh, the one about Jim Morrison, uh, 
Oh yeah, um, yeah. No um, Sugarman. Uh, no one, no one here gets out alive. Yeah, no one here gets yeah, out alive. Yeah, not a not a very good book. Not a very good. Not very well written. Not a, not a particularly interesting story. No, but a really successful billion seller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, right. Yeah, and and we mostly stayed away from those, man. I mean, it was. You know, we kind of it was kind of like an un, 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 unspoken uh, thing that the four of us have developed, and I'm very happy with it. Is that we kind of do tend to do that? We kind of tend we to stay uh, on the side streets, man. Yeah, the side streets because there's a whole lot less traffic. You'll get there quicker. Well, You'll get there a well, lot quicker. That's where the cool stuff is that you that you don't ever see if you don't if you don't go down them and look. You know, that's right. Oh, but, but yeah, boy, that's brilliant. What you just said in life, that's brilliant. You got to go down the side streets because if you don't, you're going to miss the greatest parts of America, actually. Probably, yeah. I mean, really. <laughs> yeah, you really are. And uh, well, uh, all that being said, I guess that, uh, that is going to wrap it up. Of- yeah. Yeah. Us to, to, to the end, I want to say to you guys that uh, I've got a topic for next week. Your mission, if you decide to accept it, and remember that this recording will self-destruct right after I say this, but uh, greatest, and this is simple, simple. You're going to have just too much fun. Name your five greatest debut albums, Ah. anybody, any genre. Cool. Debut first albums. Got, got one of mine already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> that's right. It just Im- immediately goes into your mind. But right. greatest debut albums, and maybe later we will do um, the worst ever sophomore albums. But maybe that's for another time. Oh, uh, same band. So many people <laughs> See, had that. Well, we can we can do that, and it's the same band. <laughs> yeah, it's the same. That's what I mean. That, that's what I mean. Is it's like the sophomore slump happens so many times. It's ridiculous. But well, that sums it up. And uh, and thank you to everybody, and we appreciate it. And we'll see you guys next week. So, uh, we're going to close out with a song from Brian Setzer that I first heard on Farm Aid back in 1982. It's from his album, The Knife Feels Like Justice, and the song is Maria, and I just absolutely love the song. And we'll see you cats in the sand pile. Everybody say bye. Bye-bye. Bye, Elvis. All right.
Well, yeah, that was a great song, man. I, I, I always loved that song. Brian Setzer from the Stray Cats and uh, his song, Maria, Wipe Away Your Tears, Maria. That's from the album, The Knife Feels Like Justice. It's going to wrap up another episode of the Kudzu Radio Hour. I want to thank my co-hosts, uh, Billy Eli, and Jim Hemphill, and Patrick Beach, as always. Um, and thank you for listening, and please help us spread the word about the podcast. And, uh, and also let us know if there's anything that you would like for us to talk about or concentrate on or, or you know, anything that would make it more entertaining for you. Just write us, you know, just email us at kudzumag at yahoo.com. Once again, I want to thank our sponsors, our wonderful sponsors, uh, Springer Mountain Farms Chicken. Absolutely wonderful, uh, fresh chicken from Springer Mountain Farms. Visit them at springermountain.com, springermtn.com. And uh, get you some chicken delivered to your house. Also, our sponsor, the Boxmasters Band out of L.A., California, A. And their uh, latest album, Light Rays, which is absolutely wonderful. Uh, they, they took uh, the pressures of the COVID year and turned it into a wonderful uh Got in the studio and busted butt and recorded a wonderful album. I think it's their best one yet. Kudos go out to Bud and JD uh, for writing all the songs, playing all the instruments, and, and turning out just what is an absolutely wonderful album, Light Rays. Uh, check out the Boxmasters at theboxmasters.com, the Boxmasters website. And, uh, um, I hate it when I lose my place when I'm looking at my notes, but, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, check out the box masters and also be sure to follow them on, uh, Facebook and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. It's cool. And also thank you to fog out sellers, Roger and Linda Earl and fog out sellers. Great wine, great wine, great wine. You've heard, or you've heard me talk about it for years. And, and this is the perfect season for you to order some and have it delivered right to your house. It's affordable. It's tasty. It's good. And like Roger says, just be sure to open it up and let it breathe a little bit. I know how anxious we all get to jump right in, but it really does taste better. If you open it, pour, uh, let it breathe a little bit, especially the Pinot. It needs to breathe. Wonderful stuff. Fog hat wine. Thanks again to all our sponsors. Thanks to everybody who listened. We greatly appreciate it. And we hope you guys will join us again next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Later. Later.